0: and others. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So if you were thinking of starting your own podcast, you want to download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Happy Tuesday, ladies and gentlemen. This is Rob Foster with episode number 125 of Shut Up and Grind. So we've been at this for over a year now and i'm booking out into february so if you're looking to get in on the show contact me dot robertbfoster.com slash podcast and book a slot because if not they're gonna be gone they're gonna be absolutely gone so that's awesome it's very humbling that people want to get on and share their stories because that's why we do this so we take people's backgrounds what they what they went through, things that they had to overcome, you know, uphill battles that they had to fight to get to where they are now. So hopefully it will inspire you to push through whatever it is you have going on in your life and let you see that you can get to the other side. So it, does, it doesn't matter what the obstacle is. No matter what has happened to you, what you have gone through, you can find power in that story when you share it with other people. So that's the purpose of this show. And if you're new to the show, you probably have no clue who the hell I am. So let me show you. I started doing workshops and doing groups where I'm getting up in front of of others, like outside of the gym setting and talking about resilience and perseverance and goal setting and vision and taking action. You should know what one hour of your time is worth. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. Starts with clarity of vision. If you don't have the clarity of vision, whatever next thing you get, you're not going to see it through because you don't have the clarity of vision. So the, the point of my pain was being told you will never run or jump again all that stuff, I was like, you know what, like, I want to be able to take this even bigger. If you know why you do what you do, you have to know how to charge for what you do. That's how you're going to change your life, and that's how you're going to leave a legacy for your children and your family. you got to know your work. Let's get into this. So before I bring my guest on, you'll have to do my little open a monologue first. And today I want to talk about being your authentic self. And what exactly does that mean? That means being the person that you truly are inside. Not what your circle of friends wants you to be. Not what your spouse or significant other wants you to be. Not what your parents want you to be. What you want to be. And I can't stress that enough. Because when I help people craft their stories, they wanna word things that will be acceptable to other people. And then that takes the authenticity right out of it. So what I teach people is whatever happened to you in your past or whatever things you've had to you've had to go through endure, that doesn't define who you are. That just makes you human. Because <laughs> everybody struggles through something at some point. Everybody does. Every single person on this planet. It doesn't matter if you were born into wealth or if you were born into poverty. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. If you're male, female, white, black, gay, straight, none of that stuff matters. Someone's going to struggle through something at some point. And when you just stand up and tell the world what you went through, you're going to inspire other people that are going through similar things. Because anybody can sit back and say, what was me? This, This happened to me. The power is when you share the lessons of how you got through it. See, so if you're stuck somewhere and you don't know how to navigate through it, that's what this show is for. So we take people, yes, we absolutely celebrate their successes, but we talk about the backstory. Like, how did you get there? What what did you have to sacrifice? What did you have to overcome? You know, who did you have to become in your own self? To get to where you want to be because too many times we let other people define us and then we end up shrinking internally. So I help you unshrink yourself. Take that stuff that you went through, show you where the power lies in it, and then help you create a crystal clear plan of what you want your future to look like. So with that being said, I have a guest and she also saw something in the world that she wanted to put her stamp on and she created something so that she can do her part in making this world a better place. And it's not up for me to tell the story, so let's bring her on so she can tell the story. So welcome to the show, Lori Myron Minbag. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Robert.
0: Did I pronounce your name right? Yes. Okay, Excellent. good, good, good. Because I say it almost the beginning of all my shows. Like, I forgot to ask you how to pronounce the name. <laughs> so, took a stab at it and glad it went well.
1: <laughs> it went beautifully.
0: Good. All right, so where are you joining us from?
1: I am in um, Eden Prairie, which is a suburb of Minneapolis, Minnesota.
0: Oh, all right. The second one in two two weeks from that area. Oh, well, that's interesting. Minneapolis, yes. Yeah, I haven't crossed Minnesota off my my state's bucket list yet. I'm trying to hit all fifty states before I leave the country.
1: It's a good state. Nice. There's a lot of good stuff here. Okay,
0: good, good, good. yeah the the last last guess i I had on she was had no, nothing but good things to say, so have to uh, get there. <laughs> all right, so are you from there originally?
1: Um I'm actually from Iowa originally. Okay, that's also on my list of
0: states I haven't been to yet. <laughs> what part of Iowa?
1: Um, we actually moved a lot when I was a child. My dad was a minister, and his okay. um, his calling for his ministry was to go to churches that were maybe struggling a bit and help them sort of do the next step. And then he would feel called to go to another church and do the same thing. So we okay. moved um, probably eight or 10 times when I was a kid. Okay. All right. So just, all over Iowa. All right. That right
0: there alone just clear, cleared up a lot. All right. All right, so before we dive in, so just tell us, who is Lori?
1: I, you know, when you mentioned that you were going to ask that question, I thought, what an excellent question to ask somebody <laughs> to, just, to just define themselves, um, because it's something we don't do, and we don't think about. And in your intro, when you talked about how we often try to define ourselves by other people, I think that. This calls you not to do that. And it is a si- sincere challenge. Um, so I think who Lori is at my heart is somebody who, when I was a child, I think the word people would have used most to define me was nice. And, you know, she's a, she's nice. And I hated that as a kid. I thought that's the last thing I want to be. I want to be exciting or attractive or or fun or something else besides yeah. nice. And I think as an adult, what I really... that that would make me happy. If after I meet someone, they would say I'm nice, but I also am passionate and dedicated. And my primary mission every day when I wake up is to find a way to make the world better. And so at my core, that is what I'm striving for is what can I do to make the world better? What can I say that will make a difference in somebody's life? What can I do? So I think that's who I am at my heart is that.
0: Love that. All right. So let's, let's go back to your father and the ministry moves, right? So what did that do to to you in the family? Now, obviously you believe in the mission, but you know, you, you, you're in your, your home, you have friends, you have neighbors, you're in a school system, and then you have to pick up and move. So what, what, what was it like during the actual move part?
1: So I wanna start by saying both my parents are now ministers. My father um, was a minister and he didn't go back to seminary until I was in, um, well, what grade? Maybe third or fourth grade, third grade maybe. Um, He said he was a school teacher and and was a principal for a while and came home one day and said, you know, I've been running away from this for too long. I have to go back to seminary to which my mom said, okay. Um, And that's when we had moved several times prior to that, because I think my dad maybe was a little bit of a restless spirit anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, But then after that, we moved a lot. And then when I was in high school, my mother actually went back and finished college and went to seminary herself. Uh, You know, it's an interesting question what it did to my childhood. I was a very, very shy child. And I I suspect that the moves made that more difficult because moving into a new place, we moved once when I was in eighth grade and actually the middle of seventh grade. And that's just such a difficult time for a kid. And so I was extraordinarily shy and was 100% convinced that I was significantly unattractive, Like, like just the worst looking person that anyone could ever meet. Um, And so I think for me, because of the self-esteem issues, the moves were hard. In retrospect, looking back, I will say that it was a rich life that I had. And I would also say that, that one of the things my parents did very, very well was never let us doubt that we were important and precious and cared about. And they also, I think, taught us to follow your passions, even though, again, at the time, in seventh grade, I was just so sad. And I was so, I wanted to crawl under my desk every day and hide. Um, and so I, and and I think that was also complicated because my brother was quite um, bullying towards me. And so that was also going on in my personal home life. Um, but I also think my parents, again, taught me this resilience and also just a commitment and passion about following my dreams and believing in the things I was called to do and not um, not shying from that, even though it was very difficult.
0: Okay. See, because I was looking on your website just before we, we came on and I saw that you overcame extreme shyness, which is why once you mentioned that with the move, that's what why I said. This is already starting to clear some things up. Like that was that was why, why I said that. So, all right. All right. So now talk about the about the brother and the bullying and, and yeah. what that did to you and, and how you coped with that.
1: Um, I, I mean, my brother, I think, was again, in retrospect, I'm a grown up now and I'm also yeah. a psychologist. So I you know studied human behavior a bit. And I think in retrospect, my brother was in a lot of pain. He's a couple of years older. Yeah. I did not know that when I was young. And so what actually happened is my brother and I were extraordinarily close up until probably adolescence or around then. And then suddenly he turned on me and um, told, and I, you know, it's definitely where my feelings about my, my attractiveness or lack of attractiveness came from because he told me. I was
0: going to go there. Yeah. (laughs) He told
1: me sometimes on a regular daily basis that how ugly I was. And I, I wanted him to like me because we were so close when we were younger. And so I, you know, his words meant something to me. Yes. And so uh, rather than being able to say, I, I will just ignore those, he doesn't know what he's talking about, it felt real. And so that's, it was just a you know, regular, he might walk into a room and just punch me on the arm, or uh, he might walk into a room and just tell me I was ugly. And it definitely did a number on my self-esteem.
0: Yeah. See, that's one thing I definitely don't let my kids do. Cause like mm-hmm. my oldest son, you know, he tried to, you know, flex his, because I, I have five kids, you know, he tried mm-hmm. to flex his muscles with the younger kids and, and I, and I get it, you know, because mm-hmm. in some ways it can be healthy because it teaches the other kids to stand up for themselves. Mm-hmm. But it, but when it crosses the line, that's where, where I step in and, and, like he said something like that to one of my daughters, I was like, absolutely not. I said that's something that I mean. I said I I work with people now who was trying to deal with scars from mm-hmm. their childhood. You know, I said so that's something where you can really deeply, deeply hurt someone, yeah. and you sure as hell don't want to do it to your your sister. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like like she's she's gonna be your closest ally as you guys get into adulthood. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I said so. Maybe now you'll have all your little friends or whatever, but like as you get older and older, the friends get smaller and smaller, Mm -hmm. but the family is there. You know, I said so you got you have to keep in mind that words can scar like for life, you know?
1: Yeah. And I I mean I will say one good thing that and I and I'm sure there were lots of lessons I learned through that, but I think Mm -hmm. one good thing for me as a psychologist is that I am pretty good at picking up when people has, have that in their history. Yeah. And I'm pretty good at helping them figure out ways to overcome that. And one of the things that I say to my clients all the time is that if someone is saying that to you in your head, they're wrong. They're liars. And so yeah. you need, it's okay for you to stand up in your own head and say, shut up. <laughs> that's that's not true. That's yes. false news. And so I think in a way that gave me some insight and some ability to be a compassionate, um, a compassionate therapist and sort of understanding of those struggles.
0: Yes, it's like I'm kind of built from a different cloth because uh, I just don't let things bother me. Mm-hmm. So like when someone comes to me and says something like that, like, oh, someone so said I'm ugly, I would say, are you? No, then don't let it bother you. you know it's like just you know someone could come to me and like rob your husband no i'm not yeah conversation's over you know it's like people people say things like people become bullies i mean yeah i know they have their own demons going on inside and that's Mm -hmm. how how they're coping with it but people do that to get a reaction oh sure you know if you don't give them the, the reaction it's not fun for them you know so people could come to me and say oh you're this no i'm not you have nothing else to say I just took your entire offense away right. <laughs> you know so that's just another way another way to cope
1: well and, and the great thing is as an adult you have all those resources to do that I think it's harder as a kid you know mm-hmm. when you're 13 14 and you're dealing with all the other stuff that goes along with being an adolescent I think that it can be more difficult not impossible but I think we need to be proactive about teaching our kids those kinds of lessons yes. that, you know, someone else doesn't get to define you. Someone yes. else doesn't get to decide who you are. And that's how you started the show, right? By asking yeah. me to define myself.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right? Exactly. And yeah, so I agree with that hundred percent because I tell my kids that constantly I have two in middle school. I have one starting high school and one in college. And my oldest yeah. son, he, he graduated college already. He's uh. He's, he's working as a mechanic now. But I told, told them that their entire life, their entire life, like when you get out there, people are going to try to define you. I said, it's up to you to not let that happen. It's like, you know what you like, you know what you stand for. You know, with my, my, my youngest, I have twin boys. They're they're 12. So they missed the first year of middle school because it was last year. So because yeah. everything was was home, was homeschooling. So this year they're going in as seventh graders and I'm actually not mad at that <laughs> because they'll miss the, the sixth grade bashing from the eighth graders. Yeah. You know, so, so at least I, I don't have, cause one of them, one of them's pretty thick, thick spined. My other son, he's a little more sensitive, mm-hmm. you know? So like, I was more, more so concerned about him. Cause like I said, with the reactions, right. when his feelings get hurt, it's immediate. Like you can tell. And then I didn't want the other kids picking up on that and constantly, you know, bullying them and and harassing them, trying to make them cry. So, so last year kind of worked out well in that regard, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not trying to say the pandemic was a good thing, but just that, that was a good, a good side effect (laughs) of it that the kids got to not, not have to worry about that. See But now I'm talking with my daughter now going into high school (laughs) that it's like, you know, you're, you're not the big bad middle schooler anymore I so said you're going back to the bottom of the barrel I said and you have to realize you're gonna be dealing with kids 17, 18 you know because my, my, cause my daughter's pretty pretty big size for for her age she's 14 but she's already taller than my 19 year old <laughs> you know yep. so, so like she's a big girl so and she she's pretty good at standing up for herself too but just reminded you're going into a different environment now. You know, said like like these 17, 18-year-olds, they won't hesitate to pick a fight with you. I said, so right. you got to learn, learn to pick your battles, learn when to speak, learn when to shut up. Because <laughs> now we got to start to prepare you for everyday life, yeah. <laughs> you know. So, so in amidst all of that, what was your childhood dream? Like what, what did you see yourself doing as a career?
1: <sighs> um, I mean, I thought about being a doctor for a while. I thought about being a teacher. Uh, I knew that I thought about being a pastor, actually, both my parents are ministers, my one brother went into, in fact, the brother who was a bully, went into the ministry, um, I think to, you know, to sort of find his own path, figure out and figure out how to change his trajectory. So um, I, I thought about being a minister, I sort of knew that I wanted, well, I didn't sort of knew, I knew that I wanted to do something to help people because one of the things that I think, as I look back at my childhood, one of the fundamental messages from my parents was, it is your job as a human to take care of other humans in the world. Yes. And I think that was taught every day in everything we did. We were the household that if there was an ice storm out in the country, you know, 15, 20 people would come live at our house in in town for a week while their electricity came back on. Uh, We were the house that if you were, were a member of our community and you, for whatever reason, could no longer live alone, you might come live with us for a while. So that's the atmosphere I grew up in. And it was a very clear, I don't think ever directly spoken, but I think the message was just so clear that your responsibility literally as a human on this planet is to take care of other humans and the world.
0: And yes. so I always
1: knew it would be something where I was working with people in some way and trying to provide something helpful.
0: See, and, and I just want to expand on that because I think too many times we, we just get caught up in self mm-hmm. and not realizing that we all have different skill sets for a reason,
1: yep.
0: you know? So it's like, yes, it's it's easy, uh, not really easy, but sometimes having music on when doing housework just makes it more enjoyable. So like we're blessed with people who can sing and people who can play instruments. Mm -hmm. Like I can't do that. I mean, I'm sure I can learn if I wanted to, but you know, my, my power is helping people believe in themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's one thing going back to my childhood where my parents, both of my parents, but more so my, my father constantly drilled that, that into us. Like you can do whatever you want to do. He's like, no. People will see the color of your skin, but you have to help them see past it. He's like, that's up to you. He's like, he's like, you can't change everyone out there, but you can change you. You know, it's like, all right, fair enough. You know, and same thing with my sisters. Like, he, he just never ever let us settle. Yeah. You know, so he's like, no matter what gets in your path, you can get through it. And he lived it. Like, he was an engineer, mm-hmm. like very very smart man, very talented man, and. I could just watch him building things, and he'd hit a hit a roadblock. He's like, "All right, Plan B. All right, Plan C." Yeah. You know, it was it was like never abort the mission. Like he just found every other angle to come at it until he got what he wanted. You know, so so growing up around that, it mm-hmm. instilled it in all of us. And I'm one of seven kids. Yep. You know, and and all seven of us got it. <laughs> you know, yep. I mean that. I I had one brother that had some dummy moments, but you know, he, he came to now, but <laughs> you know, but like, I, I, I gotta say, you know, they did an awesome job with us. <laughs> they yeah. really did. So um, the upbringing is everything. It's, it's absolutely everything. And then I know there are people that have tough upbringings that yeah. they still end up making it as well, yep. you know, but it, it all starts with you, you know, and again, how I start every show with who are you? Yeah. And then we get into the why, the why and the mm-hmm. how you became who you are, yeah. <laughs> you know. All right. So did you, all right, so you finished, you finished high school, I'm assuming, Yeah. right? Did, did you go to college?
1: Um, I went to college and um, then went to graduate school and got my PhD in psychology.
0: Oh, nice. You got doctor status over I here. I do. I <laughs> like it. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, I'm a college dropout, but yet here we are. (laughs) All right. So what was your first job post-college?
1: Post-college, my first job was working in a hospital, um, in a school program for children who um, had developmental delays or um, psychological um, difficulties. And so I was an aide in a classroom. Okay. And how long did you do that? did that for a couple years i did that until i think until i had my first daughter okay and then i stopped working for a couple years and then went back um went back to work as a no i actually did that until i started working in a a group home for expectant teen parents okay so that was that was the next job then i um left that and uh had my first child and took a couple years, babysat and, and hung out with her. And then I went back to graduate school. Okay,
0: awesome. So the, the group home for expectant teens, yep. I, I never even knew that was
1: a thing. Like, how did you stumble upon that? Um, I was looking for a job in sort of that social service field. And saw I. I'm sure I saw an ad in the paper at that time. You know, there was no internet search, oh, yeah. so <laughs> I'm sure I saw an ad in the paper that just um, said, you know, looking for someone with a bachelor's degree who, you know, maybe in psychology who's interested in working with adolescents. And found it and went for the interview. And just I liked their model a lot. The model was very much. Offering support and also sort of next steps and planning for the future. So it was really for girls who um, could no longer live at home, and but who wanted to go to school or um, find work and sort of find find out what their next steps were. So what what were they going to do? So it provided support for the kids and also for their for their babies.
0: Okay. And then did you leave that that one to to have your daughter?
1: Um, I actually got the order of those wrong. So I actually did that one first. And then I left okay. that one to work at the school. Um, sure. And I, yes, I left the school when, um, and I left the first one just because um, I was, I, I I enjoyed the job and I felt like it was a good job, but there were, um, you know how sometimes with jobs, there are just a lot of um, almost political things going on. Mm-hmm. And so it just wasn't the right fit anymore for me when I left and so that's how I ended up at the school for um, children who needed extra support in their academic
0: yes work. yeah that's why I had to stop working for, for corporate too like I, I just I just can't do things that don't make sense mm-hmm. and, and there's just so many of them that pop up that don't make yeah. sense and like I, I'm not say, saying this you know say oh I'm some rebel but I clash with every single supervisor I've ever had <laughs> <laughs>
1: you probably are someone. <laughs> you
0: know, and, and again, and it's not even just to be difficult. It's like, you know, if we just do this, this, it's done. Why do we have to do this, 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 and this? <laughs> because well, it's company policy, like, but it's stupid. Yeah. It's like we can get it done in half the time. It's like you're wasting payroll doing it this way. Yeah. <laughs> so there's mm-hmm. those, those kind of scenarios. So, all right. So, what was it like becoming a mom? Um,
1: I mean, fantastic. I, I just, I clearly remember, you know, the first time I remember getting my my daughter home and and uh, my biggest memory of her early days was looking at her after I got her home and just feeling, literally thinking I would do anything to protect you. Like I, there, there is nothing I would not do to protect you. And it was just this overwhelming sense of, Love. I mean, it was this overwhelming sense of I'm supposed to be doing this. You are. You are. You are my responsibility, and it is now my my sacred and amazing, wonderful responsibility to take care of you and protect you. Um, it was. I love. I love being a mom. I love being a mom now. My daughters are 31, maybe 32, and um, no, 31 and 26. And they're both in graduate school, both becoming psychologists. And I, I love being a mom. I don't know if you find this with being a dad, Robert, but one of the funny things about being a mom that nobody ever talks about is how much you love every stage of your child's life, but you also grieve the child you don't have anymore because they change so much throughout their lives. So I remember thinking when my daughter was three, man, you are fantastic. You are so amazing. But I really miss that baby. Because because you're not the same. Yeah. And it's just such it's just an exciting that doesn't happen so much as adults, because once they're adults, they're still, you know, they really have formed who they are. And it's the same. But during their childhood, there are so many points where they're just different little people.
0: (laughs) So I can't speak for all dads. I can only speak for me. I don't miss them I don't miss the little stage <laughs> maybe it's because I have so many kids I mean, maybe that's it like I can't I even, have two I can't even look at infants anymore <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like, I'll be in a, like oh how cute I'm like I'm good <laughs> I'm like, oh I am good like having twins with a two-year-old like newborn yeah. twins with it's a awesome. two-year-old and then we get a six-year-old and no, how old was he? it was seven four seven, four, two. I don't know, but we had a bunch of them and they were they were little. And so when shortly after the twins were born, I had a major knee injury. Oh no. So it's like just a lot of their infancy. I was in pain, I was recovering. Like, i like I couldn't hold them both and walk at the same time. True. So it's just a lot of a lot of what, what was me is there, but it was it was just such a difficult year for their, for their, it started with me losing my job. Oh. So like, yeah, I love, I lost my job, but, but that kind of pushed me into pursuing fitness because I started it, but you know, it's tough to walk away from a steady paycheck when you, right. you you know, we have a, she's my now ex, but you know, I had her and five children. So it's yeah. like, you know, how do you make that leap? And, and the universe said, go. <laughs> Cause, Cause I had no reason to get fired. Like I got completely blindsided at the end of what, into one of my shifts, and I was like, um, "Okay." I was like, "What did I do to get let go?" And so, any which way, I just took that opportunity and I ran with it. Yeah. But but it was just tough. So starting that, having having the, the newborns, having the two year old, like sh- she wasn't bad. She was just busy, like busy, busy, busy. You you yeah, you know how it is. Just yeah, busy. And then the other two, you know, one starting sports and everything else so just trying to juggle everything and then I had the knee injury and it was just like one big buzz kill yeah. you know but now I know how to tell the story but this is about you but well, it's like I took sorry I so I took all of that and now I teach the lessons in what mm-hmm. I went through versus just what I went through but one leftover thing is that I'm good with infants I, I
1: totally I completely understand. I think I took a very different path in that I had my first one and had my second one five years later and only had yeah. two. And yeah. so for me, that you know, that whole for both of them actually, that whole infancy period was relaxing. And you know, <laughs> I had a five year old, not a two year old. So the five year old was excited about helping. So I think our our baby experiences were very different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I mean my first three. Sure. Completely, completely different. Oh, like having having my son, he was actually, he was pre premature. Mm-hmm. And like, we weren't sure if he was actually going to survive the uh, delivery. Mm-hmm. So like, I remember when he was born, they cut the umbilical cord and they quickly took him off into a, another room. And I followed right behind. And they were like, uh, sir, you can't come in here. I was like, if there's a chance we can lose him, I'm going to see him while he's alive. Mm-hmm. So I was like, try to stop me. And they were like, all right, just stay in the back. You know, so like they got him cleaned up and everything. And then I was kind of standing o- over him. Like once once they got him covered and everything looked looked like he was gonna be okay. Then he opened up his eyes. Like, and I'll never ever forget that that moment. It's like just instant chills, just like, yeah. this is real. <laughs> you know, it's like this is real. And so even with my daughter, because you know, you have daddy's little girl, you know, so when my daughter was born, same, same thing. And then when my second do- second daughter was born, it's like when she, she came out, her eyes were like black. So like she opened up, up her eyes. and was like a little taken back at first. Like, <laughs> is, Doc, is that normal? <laughs> you know, but like, but like, I, yeah, I absolutely love all all of my children. So it was just just dealing with with that particular infancy while I was dealing with my own uncertainty. because the doctors had told me I would never want to jump again. So I had just started fitness. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to run with my kids. We're not going to be able to go to a trampoline park. And just all these things were swirling through in that time. And I was able to obviously put it all together. And now now I can do all that stuff. You know, we, we defied the odds with that diagnosis. But it's like, I know by the time I have grandchildren, I'll obviously have to you know reel that back in. But for right now, this moment, I'm good. You're ready. You're All right. You're okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about how you got into this inclusivity.
1: I, I certainly. So um after graduate, like I said, I went to graduate school, became a psychologist. Um after a few years, I worked in trauma first. So I worked with people who had experienced trauma in some way. And then I moved and during the move, I thought, what do I really want to do with this psychology degree and decided geriatrics is really where my heart was. And so I ended up becoming a geriatric psychologist. And then about five years ago, I was, you know, being a geriatric psychologist, working in that field, seeing people in nursing homes, getting to help people at the end of their lives, remember just how wonderful they are, which is, you know, what a blessing to be able to do that and love it. And about five years ago, I felt like the world just took a turn that I was not expecting and that um, was alarming. So I felt that people's rights were being taken away. I was really worried about um, diversity. I was really worried about inclusion. I was worried about the environment and suddenly had to do something. And I, I really kind of pulled this back to my parents, this sense that I don't have a choice. Like there's, there's something that has to get done. And so I was sitting in a hotel room on uh, November 12th and um, my husband was sleeping and it's his birthday. That was his birthday. And I was texting my best friend from elementary school, whose name is Najibi and just saying, I, I just can't, like, I can't let this lay like that, like let this just be what it is. I need to do something. So what can I do? And as we talked back and forth um, I came up with this idea of starting a company that would sell T-shirts with messages of inclusion and diversity designed by artists. So that's how the company started. Um, the company has morphed and grown since then, and, and we're actually we're introducing a new product that allows you to have interchangeable panels on a bag or a jacket so that you can have different designs on the same piece of material. And our that. stuff is all made out of hemp. So we're doing a, a lot with the clothing. Um, As part of that metamorphosis, I also wrote a book called You Can Save the World. In fact, you're the only one who can, which is all about uh, literally living a more sustainable life. So how can you make changes in your food habits, in your travel habits that will help support the world a little better? And so and also have started a podcast where I talk to people about sustainable living. And my goal really is to change the world. You know, my goal is to be a part of the wave that says it's time for all of us to take a breath, to realize that in order to continue past 2050, we not only have to take care of the environment, we have to take care of each other. There's just no more time for this division. There is no more time for us to, there's no more time for the prejudice. There is no more time for the inequity. Um, The systemic racism has got to go. Like there is just no more time for any of that, and so the company's mission at this point is that it's promoting equity and justice and sustainability, and they're for me they're all wrapped together. Um, the cool thing about sustainability is that it really does cover um, environmental justice, but also economic justice and uh, social justice, and so we can be all of that at once. Yeah. And so that's how I got here. Is I, I really. You know, hand it to my parents for raising me, first of all, to believe that if you're called to do something, you just need to do it. Like if it's time and you need to do it, rather than continuing to close the door and fight it, you just (laughs) need to do it. And they also, I really credit them with teaching me that the fundamentally most important thing I can do as a human, it's not own a lot of things. It's not have the biggest of anything. It really is help protect and take care of my neighbors and the world.
0: Absolutely. So, I just did a Spartan race with my my gym clients over the weekend, mm-hmm. and we did we did a a 10k race on Saturday, and then just over a 5k race on Sunday. And so on the Sunday race, so I'm helping my my teammates over one of the obstacles, mm-hmm. and there was a woman off on the other side. She was by herself, and she just couldn't get over. So I was like, all right, I was like, hold, hold on. I was like, I got you. And so you know, I helped her over both both walls. Then we take off, and then so we get to the next obstacle, which is a vertical cargo net. It go it goes up pr- pretty high, maybe yeah. maybe f- f- fifteen to eighteen feet, I'd say. So like, it's it's pretty high up. So for someone who's afraid of heights, it could be pretty daunting. Yeah. And so we get our group going, and the same woman, she's like maybe two thirds of the way up, and she's like starting to panic. And then one of the the women on my team was like rob rob you know points up to her and the volunteer was telling her if you don't feel comfortable you can come come down i came over i said no 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 i said i'm gonna come up all right if i come up with you will you finish the obstacle and she's like um i can try you know so i go up i go up there beside her and just guided her step by step you know o- over down and so she starts to tear up she's like thank you she's like you know my team canceled on me. She's like, so I'm here, I'm here alone. She's like, so I appreciate the help. And I said, do you want another team? And so we took her in with, with our group and we did the entire race wow. with, with her. I love you know, that. So, so it's something like that. We had planned to, to push at a faster pace for, for that race. But I looked at the team and I was like, you guys want to stay, stay together so we can, we can help her and everyone without hesitation was like yes i love it you know so like we put our own our own personal goals aside yeah. because she needed our support you know and that that's something that she'll never forget
1: yeah well and what's wonderful about that and i and i'm sure that you agree with this is that none of you regret that no nope. your lives are better because you did that and her life is better and she suddenly has this renewed faith that people are got, are kind and good. And I think yes. that that is, that's something we desperately need is to remind ourselves that most people, most of the time are trying to do the right thing.
0: Yes, I say I mean, that all the time that the good in the world far outweighs the far bad, outweighs but just the bad makes the money. So well, that's the that's all love. we ever hear about.
1: Yeah. The bad is loud. And the other thing that, that you may or may not know is that there's research that shows that for every bad thing you see or hear or, or feel, you have to experience three or more good ones just to level the playing field. So every bit of bad news you yep. see on the news, you have to see three at least good pieces or have three good things happen to even that out.
0: Yeah.
1: That's yeah. a big thing because we are inundated with negative and i think that that's part of again part of our calling as humans is to help each other see those things that are beautiful and to be a part of that. and yes. so that's that's what the company is all about. it's about saying we we have to make this difference now. we can, we're going to. and here are the ways we're going to do it.
0: yeah, agreed. agreed. like i tell my kids all all the time, you know, like the the 12-year-olds, you know, they're still into the i wanna you know, like a Ferrari when I'm older and I wanted this, and I wanted that. And I said, well, how many people do you have to help to get that? And he's like, w- w- wait, what? I, I said, because <laughs> to get something like that, you have to help people. I said, that's how That's how you're going to do something that's bigger than you driving that car. Mm-hmm. I said, because in order for you to build an income to where you can buy a $200,000 vehicle, you have to be helping so many people that you're making, you know, millions of dollars, so that you can afford that. Nice. You know, so rather than like, what job are you gonna do? It's like, how many people are you gonna help?
1: You know, trying to
0: get that into their minds. Even when my daughter was trying to trying to pick her her college career, because yeah. contrary to what society says. I, I, I raised my kids to where you don't find yourself in college. Like, we're not paying $100,000 so you can soul search. <laughs> I, said, I was like, I was like I, I have from the time you were born to the time you were 18 to help you decide who you are. Like, you know, like that's the role I took on as their, their father. I said, so we're going to f- figure it out. And I said, write down everything that makes you happy everything, is it music? Is it, is it nature? Is it like write down every possible thing that makes you happy. Now, narrow that list down to the top three. Okay. I said, now, if you could work with one group of people that would make you happy until, until you retire, define that group of people. I said, now, what industry can you work with those people doing those things and get paid for it? Nice. And then, they, so now she's she's studying kinesiology because she kind of wants to do what, what I do. Because I tell people, I'm not a trainer. I say, mm-hmm. I'm a personal development coach right. that uses fitness as the outlet. Right. You know, so she wants to do some, something similar because my two oldest kids, I have custody of, well, they're adults now, but I had custody of from my first marriage. So their mom really wasn't in the picture. Mm-hmm. So So she wants to work with young girls who grew up without their biological mm-hmm. mom. You know, so so like we were able to to establish what she wants to do, so she can define herself. Yeah. You know, rather than going through and trial and error, and then you know, there's so I think they say seventy percent of people are not using the degree that they have.
1: That would be <laughs> you know? true, yeah.
0: You know, so I'm like, uh-uh, we're not gonna be part of that that statistic. <laughs> like, we're gonna figure out, and I'm working with my 14 year old already. Mm-hmm. with that so by the time it comes time time for, for her to, to decide what career path she wants she's gonna know yeah you know it's like we're not paying so you can learn on the fly and then decide you don't want to work in that field like that's the dumbest way ever <laughs> <laughs> all right so so what do you, what do you see next yeah for your for your business
1: yeah so there's some exciting stuff happening um Coming in January, we actually are hosting um, with a bunch of other organizations, a uh, Sustainable Food Festival.
0: Okay. And
1: we are extraordinarily excited about it because we are having, we're gonna be having people send in recipes of su- sustainable recipes. So sort of defining sustainable food, however they want to. So it's wonderful because it could be organic food. It could be food you grew yourself. It could be leftovers. Uh, mm. It could be vegan or vegetarian. All of that kind of fits under the umbrella of sustainable sustainable food, and so our goal is to have people from around the world. We're actually working with a group in Kenya and another. Um, group in Argentina. So our goal is to have people from around the world send in recipes. And then at the end of January, we're going to have celebrity chefs judge the recipes and choose the winners. And so we'll have other challenges throughout the month of January. We'll announce it at the beginning of December. So the goal will be to get people thinking about sustainability as it um, relates to food, because we know that in the world there is enough food to feed people. We also know that that's not happening. And so our goal is to talk about how do we create a society where there is food for everyone and how do we create that in a sustainable way? And one of the conversations we're gonna have, which I'm especially interested in is how food sustainability differs around the world. Because even in the United States, if you talk about creating sustainable food in California, where there's a significant drought, or New York City, where there are food deserts, where people have a hard time getting fresh food, or the Midwest where a lot of our food is grown, those are very different stories. And the understanding of what it means to provide sustainable food is different in those locations. It's also very different in Kenya and it's very different in Argentina. And so our goal during that month is to get people engaged and having fun. We're going to have prizes and Interaction on our Facebook group page, and the goal is to get people engaged, sending in recipes, communicating with each other, and voting on the recipes so that we can at the end come out with these, here's some sustainable food um, recipes. We may even do a cookbook with the recipes that are submitted because I think it would be kind of a fun fundraiser, um, probably for one of the nonprofits that we're working with. So that's coming up. We also have, like I said, we have this new product called shareables, which is a jacket and a bag that have a panel you can remove and decorate in all sorts of different ways so that your bag and jacket can look different all the time. We just um, found out we got the patent for that. So we, oh, nice. you know, very exciting. So we're we're releasing that in time for the holidays. We're working on getting my book printed and I'm actually working on a Kickstarter right now to get the funds to print the book. Um, because, as you can imagine, printing on the eco-friendly material and using, you know, an eco-friendly cover and eco-friendly ink is a bit more expensive, and so we're raising the funds to do that. And our goal is just to keep moving forward this uh you know the sustainable food challenge it will be the or the sustainable food festival i think we'll do another one you know next year that maybe is about sustainable housing so our goal is every year to tell a new story about sustainability and really get people engaged in i like to look at it as what we want is people to start seeing the world and all their actions with a lens of sustainability and what that means is every time you make a decision, that weighs in. And, and what's great about that is we already have lots of lenses, right? Like we have cultural lenses and religious and, um, and uh, just beliefs that, that are, provide lenses for all our decisions. And we, we tend to follow our decisions along those lines because otherwise we fight with ourselves. You know, if my belief is that I should be kind to you and I'm really mean to you, then I have an internal conflict. And the way I resolve that is by trying to be kinder. And so what we want is for you to have that same kind of thing with sustainability and just ask yourself when you make a decision, how does this affect, does this affect me negatively? Does it affect my neighbors negatively? And does it affect the world negatively? And if the answer is yes to any of those, but you still want to do it, how do I counteract that? Because I still want to travel, even though I know travel can be hard. So what I'm looking at is how do I reduce the, the negative impact of my travel?
0: Mm, exactly.
1: And I exactly. there will be another book coming up to follow up on this one with more tips on living a sustainable life. So I see lots of, and the podcast, I, I'm I interview a lot of people who are involved either in sustainable living or in creativity because the podcast is really about both. And so I imagine that growing and and I will continue interviewing. As as you know from doing a podcast, it is just so much fun. Yeah, It's so wonderful to meet passionate people who want to talk about what they're doing and, and want to share a story. And so I will keep doing that as well.
0: Yeah, love it. It's like the, the first few episodes I did... I did it the, the traditional way, you know, with, you know, send me the talking points and, 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 you know, people don't, people only want to talk about the good stuff, you know, you know it's, it's like a lot of people, especially if someone's struggling, they can't identify with all that right now, you know, so like that, that was when I started going into the backstories. And then that was when I started noticing the engagement started picking up. Yeah. And I was like, ah, okay, okay, I like this. you know, And that's kind of what I do anyway, mm-hmm. helping people overcome the fear of of public speaking. Because in, in reality, they don't fear the public speaking. They just don't, don't know how to tell the story. Right. But I tell people, you go to see a movie, and then you get amongst your group of friends, whether you loved it or you hate it, you can talk about it flawlessly mm-hmm. because you're well-versed in it. So like when your people are trying to tell their stories, they don't know should I should I tell this part, and you know right. it, how am I gonna feel if I tell that part? What if I cry on stage? And you know they just right. they just go through all these all the things like what if I clam up? And it's like it's not about that. It's about just writing it down. Like I have a whole process. It's about just writing it down. Like when I talk about my father getting sick up 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 to his passing, you know like there's, there's, a, there's a whole process that. It's like I don't make it about him getting second passing, mm-hmm. right? The story is about the journey, yeah. the journey of of what he went through, what my mother went through, what us seven siblings went through, you know, and people close close to him in our family circle, and then ultimately to it to his passing. But what I tell, like the beauty in that story, is ever since I could remember. He always said, because I remember I said earlier, he was an engineer. He could like yeah. build anything. He always said, once I can't build anymore, that's mm-hmm. when my time is going to be up.
1: Yeah.
0: And he called it. I'm going to tell you, he called it. Like he ended up with stage four heart failure. Now he said this like in his early forties, Right. I want to say, and he passed at 79, right? So like the last thing he did before he went to the hospital was he and my son fixed my mom's car. It was the last thing he did he w- went to the hospital we we tried a procedure we, we knew it was risky and that we could still lose him but like he didn't want to, to drag it out and just slowly wither away you know so he was he made the he made the decision without hesitation. He's like, let's do it he looked at my mom said let's do it. He told her if it gets to a to a situation where you have to end it, he's like, don't hesitate yeah. you know? I was like don't hesitate so like everything was on the table. So had had the procedure, slipped into a coma. I think it was for like 18 days or so, I mm-hmm. want to say. And then we finally made made the decision to, to end the care. But he had three generations around his bed. Right. You know, so like they reduced the sedation a little so he could come out of it. Like he he didn't feel any pain, but he was able to acknowledge us. Yeah. And so we all got to say goodbye my mom played I guess it was like their song back in the day she's singing the song to him rubbing his head and stuff it's like I I would kill for an ending like that (laughs) you know what I mean it's like that so it's like I can I can say that without breaking down or getting teary-eyed now because he got exactly what he wanted you know it's like that's the beauty in that story so it's like in in his death, like I can still smile. Do I miss him here in the flesh? Of course I do. Course. But he got exactly what he wanted, and that's just amazing.
1: That is amazing.
0: <laughs> that's crazy. All right, so you know the point of that is just you know the the power of of the story. Sorry, mm. I was re- I was reading my own words up above there, and it tripped over the words. <laughs> you know, but your true power li- lies in your story, yeah. and with what you're doing is you're 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 aiding in that as well Is just letting people know like no matter what you got going on you have you can choose to be kind you know like i said earlier we all struggle at with something at some point but being kind it's a choice
1: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) you know and so when you're kind you allow other people to be kind you know, and when you're miserable, it, it, that works the same way, too. Like if you're grumpy and complaining, other people are going to start complaining as well. But when you're that one person that turns on the light, yeah. like you can let other people will gravitate to that light. Yeah. You know, so that's awesome what you guys are doing.
1: Well, and the other thing I'd just like to to say is that one of the things we like to talk about a lot in our Facebook group, especially um, our Facebook group is called Inclusive Sustainability. And it really is all about sustainable living and all the aspects of that. And one of the things we say all the time is that alone, I will make a difference. Like that is my choice. I will make a difference. But together, we can make the difference. So if we want to change the world, the first step of that is committing to I'm going to be a part of that. The second step is encouraging your friends and family to be a part of that and knowing that we are incredibly powerful together. And the other thing I, I like to say, and I, and I feel this way a lot, is um, regardless of whether we actually can make the changes that are necessary, I believe fully that we can. But let's even say that we can't. I still want to be on the team that's trying. Yes. I still want to be on the t- on the team that's working towards making those changes so that at the end I can look back and say I did everything I could to create a world that was better for all the people around me
0: exactly I love it I love it and you know with with some with some topics there are some things that you just can't change like I think as long as we have a two-party government, that have two completely different sets of ideals yeah. there's always going to be conflict sure. right and, and, and it doesn't even it doesn't matter what side you're on you know it's like the, the diehards on the right the diehards on the left like they're always going to clash so that's something that we can't fix until the two-party system gets this dismantled if it ever does mm-hmm. but what you can fix is how you uh, of how tolerant you are of others You know, so it's like I'm not I'm not faithful to either party. So I talk equally about both of them, you know, because they both have flaws. And they both have some some talking points I do agree with. But like if you come across someone that you disagree with, it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to hate the person. You don't have to call names, you don't have to insult. It's like like if, if I like bananas and you prefer apples, it's okay. We can disagree. You know, I don't have to sit here and tell you how bad apples are or or how much sugar is in them. And it's OK. You like apples? Have, have your apples. It's right. all right. You know, I think that's one thing that I I do my best to put my stamp on with people is like, OK, that happened, but it's OK. <laughs> you know, just letting them know it's OK. You know, yeah. it's like it's like you don't have to flood the world with negativity because you had a flat tire this morning. Change the flat, put a smile on your face and let's go. Like it's that easy. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So if you have, if you have someone that, well, I saw, I saw on your site that you look for for uh, like either individuals or businesses to partner with, Mm -hmm. like in, in what capacity are you looking for? So
1: right now we're looking for, for particularly for sponsors or for people who want to get involved with the food festival in january Mm -hmm. um but we are really looking we're open to any conversations about partnering on with anyone who cares about creating a sustainable future so we're always open to that we work with artists sometimes to make some of our designs so we're interested in. partnering with creative people, we're always looking for volunteers and people to help kind of run some of the things that we're doing or to help spread the word or to help with social media. We love all of that. Um, as far as businesses, any businesses that are striving to make a difference and that really do have some kind of um, sustainability plan or equity plan, those are, are things that we're really interested in. And we would we'd love to bring partners on to Help with our various events, for example.
0: Okay, and
1: um, when when is the event again? You said January. Yep, it's January. We are actively seeking sponsors right now for that event and for other things. We have a book tour that we're planning in the spring, No, in yeah. the fall, next fall, um, not this fall. Yeah. Either the spring or the following fall. Um. So we're also planning on that, planning that and, um, yeah.
0: Okay, and uh, where where is it?
1: The uh, food festival? Yeah. It'll all be online. Um, we oh, might have okay. a few live things around the world, but I think most of it will be online. People will be sending in recipes, and we'll make sure that the judging is uh, is uh, some, playing somewhere. We're still looking for our media partners, but we will find them, and then the festival will be, the judging at least, will be broadcast. Okay, Awesome.
0: It sounds like so much fun. Amazing. It's going to be
1: so much fun. I hope you participate. It's your whole family actually could create a recipe together because one of the things that I'm excited about is the idea that families or churches or synagogues or mosques or um, community organizations or Girl Scouts or 4-H could create a recipe together, videotape themselves doing it, and send us the video, and we will play it online. Ah, like which that could be very cool.
0: Like that a lot. Good. So I might, I might throw, throw one in.
1: So your family, you know, and we're having the, we're actually asking for the videos starting at the beginning of December. So people have the whole month of December to create them because we figured during the holidays, families are together. People are off school. It's a really good time to potentially create a video yes. of a of creating a recipe. So your whole family could be involved. All seven of you or six of you, six or seven.
0: Yeah. I'm the youngest of seven, but like I have five of my own.
1: Oh, right. (laughs) Right. So your five kids could all be involved in this. Okay. Game on. Game on.
0: (laughs) I love it. All right. All right. Give us a final word.
1: Um, My final word is...
0: Or final thoughts.
1: Yeah. My final thoughts are, it is your job as a human to take care of other humans and to take care of the planet and pick up your game because, you know, Uh, Shut up and grind, pick up your game, and work on taking care of each other and creating a future where we can continue going forward past 2050, because we're kind of on the time, we're kind of on the clock right now, and it's time for us to make these changes. And if you are promoting or in any way participating in racism, prejudice, uh, you know, bias against anybody, discrimination against anybody, keeping anybody out, stop. Stop.
0: Love it. Perfect words to end on. So thank you for taking the time. Thank you for joining us. And thank you, so you know, thank you for doing what you do. Cause we need a lot more of it out there in the world. So, I mean, I know I'm doing my part, you're doing your part. And thank you to everyone, anyone listening, that's doing their part to just spread some joy, spread some kindness, spread some love, damn it. Spread love. <laughs> that's all we need. The, the more, the more of that, that we do, Everything that you just mentioned will go away. Yeah. If people, if people would just would just learn to just love
1: yeah. everyone,
0: everyone. I, I posted something on my Twitter feed where it said, "I will teach my babies to love your babies."
1: Yeah.
0: It's, it's that simple.
1: It's that It, simple. it, it, it
0: do- doesn't matter who they are, what they are, what they believe in, who they're attracted to. You know, if they want to swap genders, like. It doesn't matter. We're all at the end of the day. We're all human beings. Every single one of us. We need food. We need water. We we need community. Yeah. You know, everyone needs it. Doesn't matter what language you speak. Like none of that stuff matters. So the just the sooner we embrace that, the sooner we can get to that quote unquote world peace. Yeah. Agreed. Agree. All right. Well, great, thank you. Th- th- thank you very much for joining. I'll send you the the links, and you have a great day. Thank you. All right. Thank you. all right right. that was laurie so if you're tuning in late make sure you go back and watch the rest of the video this is all about spreading love it's all about doing our part to change the world and we hope we inspired you to do your part as well thank you very much have a great day